If you're like me, this time of year is so busy, you barely have time to keep up with the news around you and in your family. Well, America has seen one of the busiest weeks I've ever seen. I've got a list of news stories to get through here with Marion McKeown, and she's the only one that catches me up every week. I hope she does the same for you. If you'd like to hear the full episode, head over to patreon.com forward slash Irishmanabroad. My mother believed and my father believed that if I wanted to be president of the United States, I could be, I could be vice president. This is America. Former Vice President Joe Biden has been elected president of the United States. It is my greatest honor and privilege to have been your president. We will be back in some form. We are still deeply divided. Public health experts warned this was coming unless more was done. And here we are now. Are you proud of what happened here today? Absolutely. Never before in American history has there been an uprising like this. Of the 75 million Americans who voted for Donald Trump, I don't know how many today are feeling, dear God, what was I thinking? But I would wager a lot more are thinking, let's carry on this fight. Character matters. It matters. Tell them the truth matters. The 21st century is going to be the American century. Because we lead not only by the example of our power, but by the power of our example. That is the history of the journey of America. Marion McKeown, great to have you here. Last week, I jokingly wondered if George Santos was even George Santos. <laughs> this week, it was As revealed. It turns out. <laughs> yeah, is he really who he even says he is? But this week, it was revealed that this New York congressman, who, if you haven't been keeping up, made up his life to get elected. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Essentially made up his CV to get his seat. Has now got legitimate ties to Russia. I mean, Marion, where do you start with a story like this? And how well, much of this is a bit tabloidy? No, you know what? I mean, there are aspects, of course, that the tabloids have gone berserk on. But I am fascinated by this story and I keep digging and I keep finding more things. And as you said, is George Santos even his real name? Because there is now footage emerging of him at a conference in either somewhere in California, a couple in 2019, where he goes, my name is Anthony DeVolder and I've just set what? up a Facebook page for Donald Trump. And so... Devolder, we think, was his mother's name. And by the way, I an update on the mother again. And I hate to break this, but we said last week that we weren't sure. We knew his mother wasn't a financial executive in the World Trade Center. Uh, like we knew that categorically because she didn't speak English and she had worked as a cook. Now, he said she was an executive and she was in a corner office when the planes hit. And he claimed that that was connected to her death, which happened several years later. It now turns out not only was she not in the World Trade Center, she wasn't even in New York. She wasn't even in America. Oh <laughs> oh and then God. the other thing I, I've got to say, this is one of my ones that I love. Now, and I think this is an idea for a new podcast for you, Charlotte. Okay, so one of the things that George Santos decided he was really brilliant at was volleyball. And so he did all these interviews and podcasts about his volleyball playing and said he had to get two knee replacements. But it was worth it. It was worth it. Because when Harvard saw him coming and Yale, when those teams saw him coming, they were scared. They were terrified. And he trounced them. Assume, presumably the rest of the imaginary team trounced them as well. But he trounced them every time. But it took a terrible toll in his kneecaps. And he, he, never, oh, played, he never played volleyball for anyone. 
for anyone. What a strange lie. Like some of these lies are so strange and so easily overturnable. But but the fact that not only does he say he's a legendary volleyball player, but he was so legendary he had to get both his knees replaced. And then I was thinking, maybe you could do because clearly volleyball, imaginary volleyball, is a very very dangerous sport. And I was thinking, what about if you did a, an imaginary running podcast? <laughs> or maybe I should do one since it's as far as, I'm go- or as close as I'm going to well, get. Well, that's it. That's what my exercise used to be. Imaginary. It was all in my head, just telling people that I was going to get out there at some point. Uh, but there I is know, but a you concern didn't say with... to have your hips replaced yet or your kneecaps. <laughs> and I didn't get elected so, to know. the Senate on that basis. George Santos, though, I wondered this week when this connection to this Russian oligarch emerged, yeah. I started to wonder, is this man unwell? Has anybody raised the question of, is he actually like mentally unwell well i think we did broach that last week in the basis that you could not be sane and mentally healthy and come out with the volume and details of lies the utter he's a fantasist you know a fabulous i mean walter mitty doesn't come close but i also getting back to what you asked me originally before i got sidetracked with his fake knee replacements (laughs) you asked about the russian connections and this is very strange because He was very close to a friend of Trump's former attorney, Michael Cohen, a chap called Indrater was his second name, and he had a company. Now, he's also connected to Victor Veskelberg, which people may know his name. He was a big Russian oligarch, very, very close to Putin in the inner circle, and was very much pro the invasion of Ukraine. And as a result, he was sanctioned. He's worth about $6 billion, apparently. And he was the first person to be sanctioned by the Treasury Department for his role in, you know, when the, the first batch of sanctions came out, and they were sanctioning all of these people who were very close to Putin and really had irons in the fire of going into Ukraine. He was the first person. So now his cousin, his American cousin, who is this chap in crater, apparently was also giving George Santos a lot of money. And apparently George Santos, and I think we spoke about this last week, set up a Ponzi scheme, which now that there that's the SEC's words, not mine. Actually, they called it a fraudulent Ponzi scheme, which was worth about 17 million before it went bust and everyone lost their money. Now, this guy in, in Trader, I won't pronounce his name correctly, invested about $650,000 in the Ponzi scheme in Harbour Capital. But then he went on to stay friends with them when Harbour Capital collapsed. And then he set up this new company, which was Devolder, whatever. That Again, that allegedly was his mother's name, although we don't even know that for sure. So they kept their sort of relationship going. And this guy um, in Trader as well, who, as I said, was a big funder of Trump's, he gave, he donated, I know for a fact, I remember checking on the Trump, you may remember that Tom Barak, the Trump's big friend, raised $110 million for his inauguration committee. And of course, I mean, I was at the inauguration. If it cost him, if it cost a million dollars, they were fleeced because it was the cheapest on a yes, shoe. Yes, I remember this. Yeah. I've been to literally, I have been to weddings and registry office that had a lot more glam and a lot more generosity about them. But anyway, I'm digressing here. But this guy in Trader was one of the people who was a big donor to that committee as well. And so all of these people are weirdly connected. Now, I'm not saying that there's any direct connection between Santos and Trump. I kind of doubt that there would be other than, you know, he professed himself to be died 
hide in the wool. Oh, and another little bit of color here because I've got to add this in. Okay, he lost. He ran for the, he ran against Tom Sozi in 2020, and he lost. And on January 5th, he got up and stood up before a crowd of people and said he was robbed, just like Donald Trump. The election was stolen from him too. And it turned out that at the time he was wearing some very nice cashmere scarf, a beige che- with checks on it, and his old roommate. <laughs> Saw him on TV and went. That's my scarf. He stole oh, my scarf. <laughs> you see, Mary, it's getting it gets sillier, it doesn't it? Just, it? it gets to the point where it's like, it who is is, is there yeah. is there a push for this story just because it's so interesting? Like George Santos can't be that important. In Trader and his wife each gave the yeah. maximum five thousand eight hundred. Yeah. Dollars. That's what we're talking about here. Well, that's what we're talking about to, and then to his committee, to, to, to his election to campaign, campaign, which is the maximum. Yeah. But then, then there was also money that more. was paid into the super PAC, into Redstone and other, you know what I mean? So we don't actually know at this stage. I agree to, the, the, to be honest, what I find about this story is it's comic relief. I have really enjoyed seeing him running up and down the corridors in the Longworth building and running up, which is where the congressional offices are, and running up and down the corridors outside of the congressional chambers and being chased by him. Yeah, no, and I'm a man who loves comedy more than anybody. Yeah. I can safely say that I I love a bit of comic relief, but there is a part of me with a story like this where you're going, this is, you know, such an abuse of what is a really important role. Somebody lost the election to That's this That's right. The, the challenge and is Zimmerman, that, yeah. Yeah, Zimmerman sitting at home going, ha, 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 it's so gas, isn't it, that this was allowed yeah. to occur and that this money helped to fund it. But, you there, know, there must be a, a note, patience Charlotte, that, that dwindles on this. Now, on that note, though, Zimmerman has been pretty sour about this and he has blamed journalists. Now, I know for a fact, because I spoke to two journalists in the press gallery yesterday, two New York journalists, and they said that they had approached Zimmerman because normally you do opposition re- research on your opponent. And, you know, the fact that Zimmerman's big team, who had plenty of money, didn't go, well, let's have a look at this Santos guy. Let's see. Let's see. Is there anything? Like, he immediately, like, he was, one of the journalists particularly said she spoke to Zimmerman's team repeatedly and said, do you know anything about this? Yes, she should have done extra digging, no doubt. If they, But the Democrats were asleep at the wheel as well. They didn't, you know, the Republicans clearly realized that this guy was batshit crazy and thought, oh, what the hell? You know what? He'll pull the right lever. That's all we care about. But the Democrats, again, were a little slack in not researching this guy more closely. And I think that they probably just thought, Zimmerman probably thought, because he was inheriting the seat from Zuozzi, that he'd just pick it up because it was a long-held Democrat seat. And so I think a bit of complacency there too. So he probably is sitting at home and probably not at all happy, but he should probably also look at his own role because one of you know we all know negative ads are the biggest they're they're the fuel unfortunately that run campaigns in america political campaigns but there's a difference between a malicious negative ad and just doing legitimate research and saying well hang on this guy's not telling you the truth about who he is you know so again and is the plan to just hound him out of office He's not going anywhere. In fact, he's he's already been put up for several committees. So he will be on committees because, again, Kevin McCarthy, Jeez. and we've said it so many times, 
He's got four Neither. votes. That that that's the difference between Kevin McCarthy, you know, basically staying in office and getting anything done. He has to keep those four votes. And wow. so he's going to keep George Santos sweet. And Kevin McCarthy has Jim Comer, who's the head of the Oversight Committee now, has said, oh, well, we're not happy about him and we'll see what's going to happen. But McCarthy hasn't said a single word other than, well, we'll see what the House Ethics Committee said. And ironically, there is now talk that Santos might get a seat on the House Ethics Committee. So... As Martin McDonough would say, worser and worser this story gets. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah. insane. Well, look, we do, we do have a lot to get through. So let's go straight to Elon Musk, who is either a liar who callously jeopardized the savings of regular folks or a well-intentioned visionary as attorneys delivered opening statements at a trial focused on a Tesla buyout that never happened. Who's suing who here, Marion, and what is the claim? Yeah. Well, for this case, and it should be said there, Elon Musk is in a world of of trouble at the moment on various fronts, but he's being sued by investors in Tesla. And the lead plaintiff is an investor called Glenn Littleton. It's a class action, but they're suing Musk and also Tesla and members of the board at the time. Now, just to put this in context, the Securities Exchange Committee has already found and found back in, was it 2020, that Elon Musk had behaved in 2018, in fact, he had to pay 20 million to the Securities Exchange Committee and Tesla as well. So 40 million in total, he had to pay 20 million out of his own purse because they found over the exact same tweets, because they found that the, these tweets were really misleading and fraudulent. So that's kind of a big step that, that is already in the plaintiff's favor. And Musk also had to agree on because of those tweets to step down as chairman of the company. He did stay on as CEO. He later said, oh, I shouldn't have settled. I shouldn't have settled. And he asked a federal judge about it in 2021, I think it was, or early last year, uh, to just to basically get rid of the settlement and to say it was invalid, the judge refused and said, "There's, you know, this is a done and dusted deal." But to get back to this case, it was on the basis of two tweets that Musk sent out in August 2018. The first one said, "I'm considering taking Tesla private at $420 a share, funding secured." Full stop. And then another tweet added, investor support is confirmed. And at that stage, he was talking to the Saudis, apparently. Now, when people saw $420 a share, that that would be what the buyback would be at, the stock price soared. It went up Mm. 11% in the same day. And then, but then it fell back when people were saying, well, show us, show us the money, show us the letter confirming this money, etc. But then the stock price fell further than it had been on the day of the tweets. So these people are all saying that, in fact, Nick Porras, who's a pretty well-known attorney in in, um, San Francisco, he was doing the opening statements for the class action. He said basically that Musk's lies, and he called them lies, caused Littleton and a whole bunch of other people to lose millions and millions of dollars. Now, Alex Spiro, who's also a very well-known lawyer on the West Coast, basically said 
that this is nonsense. He said, basically, you know, you've only got so many characters in, in, in a tweet. And this was just a, an abbreviated term. I think he called it a throwaway term when he said funding secured. Now, I counted up the characters in funding secured and he would have had at least another 120 to use had he so wished. So I think that's a bit disingenuous. And it, so he says, yes, it's technically inaccurate, but it's not it's sufficiently different. It can't be called a lie, can't be called fraud. It can't be called even close to fraud. And he said, you know, a lot of deals don't happen. That's not Elon Musk's fault. That's just the business world. But the fact is that, as I say, the SEC finding will, I think, weigh pretty heavily because, you know, that was something that they investigated independently. They said, you know, this is bullshit. Yeah. This, so he's, this he's already taken yeah. his rap on the knuckles yeah. over this, yeah. agreed so, that he was wrong, paid out yeah. money on it. Yeah. And it is a little bit opportunistic, isn't it, to go, right, well, well we kind of have him. stupid. Yeah, I mean, it, to me, if I were his lawyer, I'd say, would you just settle? Write them a check yeah. and put it behind you because a jury's going to find you guilty anyway. So, you know, you've already had one major strike against you. And so just settle. But Elon Musk, we know that Elon Musk is Elon Musk. And at the same time in San Francisco, as he's in court with this, you know, th this could cost him a lot of money. This yeah. Because they're saying that they lost millions and millions. There could be punitive damages. They will probably get their money back with interest. So he could be looking at a payment of 100 million easily. But in the meantime, what he's busying himself with is he's having a fire sale in the San Francisco offices of Twitter and they're selling off almost everything, including the Twitter bird, a statue of the little Twitter bluebird, including a big sign, a big neon sign of, you know, the A as in that you put in your at Twitter, at Marion McKeown, at yep. Charles Regan, whatever. And they're also selling off I, I went on the site because I just thought there was a big thing that there were going to be big bargains that you'd be able to get these beautiful null womb chairs that cost about eight grand for $25. Well, of course, that didn't happen. But I was I thought, dear God, I mean, Jack Dorsey or whoever had the offices originally, the way they were furnished was just insane. It's all this. I mean, I know that these techies love their fancy furniture and their mid-century modern and all that. But this this office, the San Francisco one, was furnished so lavishly with all of these sort of Eames chairs, as I said, Knoll chairs, all these really, really expensive brands. Just that there, there was no need for them to be there. You know what I mean? There was no need for furniture mm. to be that lavish. So anyway, Musk is now selling it all off in a fire sale. Um, but it seems that it's going quite well. Our, our, the, it, the auction just shut down today. And it seems that they are... A lot of stuff went above the price because people and, you know, geeks and freaks wanted to say, oh, I've got the Twitter bluebird in my drawing room or in my sitting room or in my whatever room. So apparently they, not enough, I would say, to cover his legal costs and any, any punitive damages in this trial if he's found guilty. But um, and a 65% you know, decline in Tesla stock in the last yeah, year. They it wiped have, $700 exactly. billion. In, in shareholder wealth. It's I phenomenal. Mean, the, and also they've is, dropped the share price of, uh, not the share price, I beg your pardon, they've dropped the actual cost of Tesla cars by 20% because people have stopped buying them. They've just stopped buying them. And it's because he's really damaged that brand with the Twitter yeah. shenanigans. People bought Tesla cars because there are a lot of electric cars now you know they wrote porsche do them rolled like and mercedes they all do them now and what was unique about tesla although they were a pretty cool design i test drove one 
And it was one of the more exciting episodes in my sad little life, taking it at 130 miles an hour up Mulholland Drive. But anyway, it was, they're beautifully designed, although the back window is a bit odd. But anyway, but they were considered very cool and cutting edge. Now they're considered the product of this moron, this idiot who talks about free speech out of one side of his mouth and bans people on Twitter, journalists arbitrarily who for the most mundane of reasons that he just decides, you know, and then has votes online as to whether he should bring back Donald Trump. He's turned into a clown. He's turned into a, a, you know, far from being this visionary, which I think he really started out as with SpaceX, with all of these things. And he was very bold. He really was very, like, brave in, in that he would just take on anything. And to me, it all started with the flamethrowers when he started manufacturing $20,000 flamethrowers or whatever. It was just, it's like, this guy's too much time in his hands. He needs to sort out <laughs> Tesla. You know, uh, at the time, Tesla was in a, in a jocker. They could, their production lines were screwed. And I think now people have seen how badly he treats his staff, the way he fired all of those Twitter employees. He's lost 40% in Twitter advertising revenue as well. So if you look at the combination of his two more high-profile businesses now, as you said, Tesla's lost $700 billion. Twitter has lost 40% of its advertising revenue since he took over. He's in court in San Francisco now with former Tesla investors like getting stuck in here. There's just a bunch of other stuff going on as well. And it really seems that he's sort of unraveled. And mm. there's and these things have a domino effect. So there's no confidence, I think, in really anything that he touches now. I, people are mm. thinking, oh, you know what? Like, he's a bit mad. A hard man to advise, I'd imagine. I mean, how I do you would tell him so. to do anything? Because it the canyons about him, I think, you know? Yeah, well, I'm not sure that he is unwell, whereas I think we both kind of settled yeah. on the idea that that Kanye is desperately unwell and in need yeah. of help. And sometimes when it comes to him, I do think, oh, we're all a lot of lip service to mental health. And then when mm -hmm. someone's clearly having mental health issues in front of a camera, we're fine yeah. with the press putting a microphone out there to capture every crazy thing he says and then cancel him next week. With yeah. Musk, it just, I wonder, as you say, how much his lawyers have said, you need to settle this. And now he's like, no, I'm not doing yeah. that. There is there is a long trial ahead here. Is there a chance that they'll settle uh, midway through or will this go the distance? I honestly don't know. It's scheduled to run for about three weeks. Um, it's not going to get any better for him. And when they were doing the jury selection, they asked the jurors, like, you know, basically how they would describe him because everybody's heard of him. And a lot of the terms weren't that flattering, to be quite honest, like an oddball and this and that and eccentric and unpredictable and, you know, egotistical, etc. And the thing is, it, when it's somebody like Elon Musk, it's, some, it's like Donald Trump. Everybody has heard of him. So you're not going to find a juror on the planet <laughs> that remind in San Francisco where Twitter is based and where he was before with PayPal and with all of his other stuff. You're not going to find anybody. He did try to have the trial moved to somewhere else because he said, well, I won't get a fair trial in San Francisco because nobody likes me here. Now, I mean, you often hear of criminals doing that. If you, if a criminal is in for a really horrific crime, like, you know, some form of a murder, where they believe they can't get a fair trial in that area because the community has been so devastated. You do hear of that. But for a civil trial, no. Nah. The judge told him to take a hike, and uh, as he should have yeah. done. 
I mean, speaking of false equivalencies between Kanye and Elon Musk, last week we talked about the false equivalency between Joe Biden's documents and the Trump documents. Ah, yes. I mean, it's almost as if the Justice Department didn't listen to the episode, Marion. <laughs> they're treating they Biden's they? over, they're treating oversights uh, the exact same way as the Trump souvenirs. I mean, that's really the difference here. Yeah. Biden is a dothery man who's lost some stuff over the course of the years, whereas Trump believed, Marge, they expect you to take souvenirs from the White House and these are mine. Another five pages were handed over by the Biden team this week. Surely someone along the way, Marion, accidentally drops these into a shredder rather than handing them over. Is the Biden administration's biggest problem that they're too honest? Well, you see, the thing is that God forbid that they. What I was talking to somebody in DC about this today. Now, initially, they said it was one page that they found on Saturday, and I said, "Well, how did it go from one page to five pages?" And the opinion, and it wasn't that I got, was that they thought that, or they had heard. And again, this is Chinese whispers, and I'm almost reluctant to say, but, but that there was a classified document and then an addendum attached to it, and that might have accounted for the extra pages, basically, that they, you know, it, it was how you wanted to describe it. Was the, the cover page, the classified page, or was the addendum? There was a big the, bibliography. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. so covered, I mean, I, I think they weren't that, just stuck together. Yeah, I, I think that's that was one of the issues. But look, this is damaging for Biden because the Republicans are making such hay of it, and now there's going to be a big investigation. And the irony is James Comer, who is the... Talk about not the sharpest knife in the drawer. He's about as sharp as a wooden spoon. Honest to God, he was asked. <laughs> he was asked on TV the other day about why he was investigating Biden and why he was not at all concerned about Trump. In both instances, the topic being the classified documents. And he said, well, I don't really care. I'm not worried about what was in the classified documents. I don't care what, you know, was in, I don't care if Trump had nuclear secrets in his. All I'm worried about is the difference in how they're both being treated. You know, and you just think, dear God. I mean, yes, we know you're political. Are, are you that clueless? So what he's basically saying is, I don't care if Biden had a menu from a state dinner that was classified and if Trump had the nuclear codes. You know, to me, it doesn't matter. The issue is, did Biden get a nicer special counsel than Trump? <laughs> and, and, and that's really, and the thing is, in a way, what Merrick Garland did was to make it such a level playing field. It's like, okay, you get Robert Hur, Joe Biden. He's a Trump appointee. He was a Trump suck up in the Department of Justice. He was the deputy to Rod Rosenstein. He went over to the White House while he was in the Department of Justice and held a press conference from the White House talking about MS-13, which was Trump, the South American gangs that Trump was obsessed with. So he held this phony press conference. And I remember at the time, people from the Department of Justice were furious because they had always said there is a brick wall, not even a red line, between the Department of Justice and the White House, and you don't cross it, and you sure as hell don't go to the White House to pander to the president, to announce a press conference that you're having, you've arrested somebody that he's always ranting about, you know, in his speeches. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Robert Hur was always seen as political, but that's the guy that Biden has got now. And then, of course, we know Jack Smith is, is the person who was appointed to Trump. Jack Smith was an independent. He's never 
never given money to either party, registered independent. He's been in the International Criminal Court in The Hague for a long time now. He's regarded as a really tough, good prosecutor, but has no political affiliation, whereas Biden's special counsel has a clear political affiliation. Anyway, they're professionals, they're prosecutors, they're lawyers. Let's hope that in both cases they'll, they'll do objective, decent jobs. And, yeah. the, you know, the chips fall where they may. But it seems well, that Biden, as we've said, as, as soon as they found out on November 2nd, they notified the archives. The archives came, picked them up. Then the archives notified the Department of Justice on the Saturday, which was, remember we were talking last week about the week between the, you know, when they found them and the date of the midterms, which was November 2nd to November 8th. Well, it turns out that the National Archives notified the Department of Justice. They said, look, we're looking, you know, we're looking at these documents now. And then the Department of Justice didn't do anything for a while after that. They were looking into it. So it's kind of understandable Apart from the political thing, you'd be crazy to announce this a couple of days before the midterms, but they probably weren't in a position to in any case, it's, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we've had a question in here, Marion, because a, a couple of weeks ago, was it, or I think it was last week, you've raised a couple of times about where somebody got their law degree from. Michael Kelly says, is bringing up where someone got their law degree from a wee bit below the belt, perhaps? I mean, it might yeah. mean the person isn't the sharpest tool, but it doesn't necessarily speak to their moral standards or political value. We've seen there are quite the few questionable characters with their Ivy League degrees and still very For little sure. in the way of decency. So there's no obvious correlation that comes from Michael Kelly. And I thought, Marion, maybe, you could, point, Michael, about, you, know, yeah, maybe yeah. you could talk to us about this because we know that there are Lionel Hutz characters out there, but he raises a very good point. He does. And I'm sure there are some terrific lawyers who went to the same law school as Jim Jordan, and maybe they got in there because it, it wasn't so expensive. You know, most people can't afford to do their law degrees at Yale or Harvard, even if they managed to get in, in the first place. So I think we leave that aside. But the problem with Jim Jordan is that by any objective standard, it's not, he's clearly not particularly intellectual. But, you know, if you are in a position where you are the head of the the Judiciary Committee, which calls for an exceptional lawyer, I mean, I have heard Jim Jordan make mincemeat of the simplest legal points, like really the most simple, basic ones. And it's very clear from what he has said already and the letters he has sent out already that he is not basing any of his investigations on any legal basis. It's vengeance, it's vendetta, and it's doing Trump's bidding. And it's just to basically try and embarrass the Biden administration to make these wild allegations about the Biden crime family. None of it so far. And, you know, maybe stuff will come out. We don't know. Maybe it will turn out that we'll all be going, dear God, we had no idea Joe Biden would have done that. We don't know at the moment. But as I say, Jim Jordan... My point, and Michael's absolutely right, and I probably should have phrased it in a completely different way, was that for the Judiciary Committee, you need somebody who knows the law. And Jim Jordan mm. is not that guy. He's not that and, guy. You know, he's mm. just not that guy. Wow. Well, Marion, fair play for taking it on the chin. And thanks, Michael oh, Kelly, no, for getting in touch. And I really appreciate 
Michael A listening in, but also taking the time to get in touch and to make what is a really valid point. So anyone who thinks, hang on now, you know, whatever, watch it. That just, I really appreciate that. Just the feedback. I think it's great. Yeah. Irishmanabroadpodcast at gmail.com is the best way to get in touch with us. We also have a WhatsApp live line where you can send a voice note to be part of the show. We would love to hear from you. And in the second half of my conversation with Marion, we are going to talk a bit more about Jim Jordan as he gears up for the GOP-led House Judiciary Committee as he looks into everything Biden has done from Afghanistan to Hunter Biden. Uh, We also talk about this extraordinary case of Solomon Pena, who unsuccessfully ran for a state house seat in New Mexico as a Republican last November, was arrested on Monday in Albuquerque for allegedly paying four men to shoot at the homes of four elected officials. What the hell was he thinking? We'll also talk about Elvis Presney's uh, iconic Graceland mansion, which will now stay in the family after the death of his only child, Lisa Marie Presley. Marion has a unique insight into Graceland and all of the financial aspects of this tragedy. You'll get so much more if you join us on patreon.com forward slash Irishman Abroad. And also you'll have the knowledge that you're supporting this show and its continuation through 2023 and into our second decade of Irishman Abroad. Ready? You have the cameras rolling? This is America. A lot of people who would probably consider themselves liberal have done very well financially under the Donald Trump four years. You encouraged espionage against our people. You condemn any interference by Russia in the American election. By Russia or anybody else. Russia, please, if you can, get us Hillary Clinton's emails. Please, Russia, please. To renew America, we must revitalize our democracy.